Welcome to Podcast 47 of To Safe Dividend Investing. This is January 19th of 2022. Today I am going to be reading from the first chapter of my latest book, American High Dividend Handbook, which will then be followed by answering some questions. Chapter 1, Strong Stocks. Investment books are often written, either by academics trying to impress you with clever, complicated theories, or by investment advisors trying to attract new customers. I am not an academic, nor am I an investment advisor. All I know about investing and business is what I've learned from almost 50 years of being paid to analyze businesses. For the first 56 years of my life, I did not think I needed to know anything about investing. Suddenly, I received a large, unexpected cash settlement in 1996 in lieu of the very generous pension that I had expected to receive upon retirement. What was I to do with this lump sum? I decided to employ a friend, an investment expert with four decades of investment experience. I paid him handsomely to select investments that would make me financially independent for the remainder of my life. Within four years, I learned investment experts cannot accurately predict the future appreciation of investment portfolios. I also learned that no one is going to care as much about your money as you do. It was apparent that I had been mistaken in giving anyone access to my money. It is easy to sell wonderful investment theories and solutions when investing someone else's money. Your own money is not at risk. For many investment advisors, the temptation to sell investments that maximize their income rather than the portfolios of their naive, trusting clients is just too great. Now, after 20 years as a self-directed, successful investor, I have learned that investing requires self-discipline and a rock-hard faith in the exceptional, successful companies whose shares you will own for the rest of your life. The insights and the tools that are provided with this book will remove the investment fears and insecurities that so many have. I will take you step by step through the straightforward process I used to grow my portfolio from a few hundred thousand dollars into a seven-figure portfolio that generates a generous, ever-growing, six-figure income for me during the good times, recessions, and pandemics. The typical investor is a speculator. They choose stocks to invest in whose share price they believe is currently underpriced. They are convinced the share price will increase to a magnificent amount, at which point they will sell their shares and reap a huge profit on their trade. Unfortunately, 
predicting the best time to sell is easier said than done. Often, at the first sign of a share price decline, nervous speculators believe they must sell their shares to realize either a small gain or a small loss. Speculators are notorious for buying a stock at its highest price and selling it at its lowest price. I am told 97% of speculators lose on their stock investments. By contrast, I am a believer that if you buy the shares of financially strong companies paying high dividends, then share prices become almost irrelevant. 95% of those financially strong companies pay their consistent dividends through market crashes and pandemics. While the share price of a financially strong company can drop by 50% in a recession, the company can still be just as financially strong as it has always been. Except for an unprofitable company facing bankruptcy, a company's share price is only remotely connected to the company's profitable operation and its ability to consistently pay dividends month after month, year after year, and decade after decade. While the profitable operation of the company has some influence on a share price, the share price each day is overwhelmingly determined by speculator bids and not by the skills of those managing the financially strong company. How is this possible? The stock market is an auction vehicle, not a supermarket, with stocks ready to be picked off a shelf at a set price. Speculators sell stocks that they expect are going to decline in value. However, to sell a stock, they must find a speculator who thinks the stock is going to increase in value to buy it. One of them is going to be wrong about the immediate direction of that share price. When millions of shares are being exchanged, it means millions of speculators are placing bets on which direction the stock price is heading. These millions of decisions are all just guesses. No one knows what impact their one bid will have upon the share price or whether their bid will just cancel out the bids of other investors who are guessing that the share is going to move in the opposite direction. Sometimes speculators get lucky. Their shares rise or fall as they had hoped. Some who win big are convinced that they are stock-picking geniuses. This often encourages them to speculate again and again until all their money is lost. Others come to their senses and realize that no one can accurately predict future share prices. The vast majority who lose will shrug and say that the market was against them as if the market were a tangible force that made decisions as to who was going to win or lose. The reality is there is no market. 
there is just this auctioned vehicle that allows buyers and sellers to bid against each other to acquire a stock. Why do speculators keep on speculating? If they keep on losing, most get a thrill from buying a stock they, they are sure will make them rich, while their certainty of the stock's growth is often based only on rumors and media hype. The reliability of the source is irrelevant to them. It is the same thrill of anticipated riches that motivates the masses to buy lottery tickets. A $6 lottery ticket provides them with the possibility that on Saturday night they could be $70 million richer. When Saturday comes and goes, they're not richer. They shrug it off. All they have lost is the $6 they paid for the lottery ticket. Hooked on the anticipated thrill, they're ready to risk another $6 on the next lottery draw. Investing in stocks involves much more than $6. Thousands of dollars, even millions, can often be in play. The amazing thing is that speculators seem unable to accept that the stock market is not a lottery. They refuse to accept that with just a little effort and thought, it becomes hard over time not to make money on the stock market. That's all for this week. We'll continue with Chapter 1 next week. Question. Is it better to invest in shares or in bonds? I can buy and sell any stock I want as a self-directed investor and incur a zero acquisition cost. I just pay the price I agreed to in the trade for the stock. If I were to buy $50,000 worth of bonds, I could be looking at paying a financial institution several thousand dollars when I bought the bond and when I sold the bond. I look for income and capital gain in an investment. If I buy financially strong stocks paying high dividends, I average a dividend income of more than 6% a year and an annual average capital gain in excess of 9%. A bond gives me zero capital gain, and the interest it pays would be between 1% and probably 4% at best. Combined with the high cost of acquisition and divestiture, it is a losing proposition. Some may argue that a bond gives you security. So does investing and financially strong stocks paying high dividends. Even in market crashes, such stocks continue to pay their regular dividends. This can easily be proven by looking at historical records of dividend payouts. While their share price may drop by 50%, it quickly recovers, and this too can easily be proven. I think financial advisors push bonds because they make nice commissions selling them as they do not make sense in these days of low interest rates. What do you do with a losing stock in your portfolio? First, 
You analyze a stock. What is its operating margin? What is its book value? What is its price to earnings? What is its dividend yield percent? If it is a financially strong stock paying a good dividend, why would you sell it? Are you classifying it as a loser because the share price is now down? Share prices go up and share prices go down. But over time, a financially strong company stock share price will rise to new heights. If it is a financially weak company, then you made a mistake in buying it for perhaps its potential. Sell it and invest in a financially strong stock. What is the relationship between a stock price and its dividend? There is no relationship other than you must own a stock in order to receive a dividend, if it is paying a dividend. Speculators only control share prices. The management of a company control its profits. From profits, dividends are paid. There is no direct relationship between the two. This is why when you look at historical records for companies who have paid dividends for decades, you can see the share price drop by 50% in a market crash, while the dividend payment, usually 90% of the cases, do not drop and in some cases may actually increase. Executives, seeing that it appears their profit objectives will not be met, immediately make changes in their operations. They cut all expenses, reduce staffing, provide sales incentives, and so on. They do this to make sure their profit figure is net. This may influence investors to invest, but it does not guarantee that the share price will rise until speculators see the potential for rising share prices. doesn't the law require corporations to pay dividends? Who do you think the corporation is? In a sense, there is no corporation. It is an artificially created entity. Every shareholder owns a piece of the corporation, which is an asset that cannot be sold without the supposed agreement of the shareholders. The shareholders vote and elect a board of directors who represent their interests. The board of directors are responsible for the hiring of a chief executive to administer the corporation for them with certain restrictions for which the chief executive must get approval of the board. The board of directors can also replace the chief executive. When profits are made, the executives of the company propose how the profits will be spent. For example, they might pay dividends. They could invest the money in assets to make the company stronger. They could even use the money to buy back shares of their own company on the open stock market. This is a questionable benefit and was illegal from the 1930s to the 1980s because it was seen as a form of stock manipulation. 
If you are not happy that the corporation you own shares is not paying dividends, then it is up to you to gain enough shares of the company so you can control the board of directors and its decisions. Or do your best to convince the board of directors to pay dividends. A board of directors is not a democratic institution where every shareholder has an equal vote. Those shareholders holding the most shares have the most votes. Can a stock portfolio you created yourself possibly be as good as the ETF I am considering buying? I get the impression with this question that you are second-guessing your own research and are hesitant to take the step of purchasing the stocks. Perhaps you cannot believe that it is possible for you to have chosen a strong portfolio, even though, as you can see in the ETF, you are considering that many of the stocks you have chosen are in this ETF and that the ETF is going to get at least an income or 6% from its portfolio. Unlike you, I went through an experience of getting a large six-figure lump sum and passing it on to a trusted financial advisor who put it all into mutual funds. I had not the slightest clue what it was invested in, nor did I care until it had shrunk by $300,000 and my retirement was looking very bleak. That is when I vowed to take over control of my investments and know exactly what I was invested in and why. My steady, high dividend income and my portfolio growing by several multiples is the result. I spend a great deal of time reading material that is mailed out daily to managers in the investment industry. It reminds me constantly that those people are in the business of separating as much of your money from you as they can, both legally and illegally. I've spent my entire life in commercial risk. I know statistically that 15% of any population cannot be trusted and you must isolate yourself from giving anyone an opportunity to touch your money. An ETF is a cheap mutual fund, but in this case, the 0.07% management fee is high for an ETF. Think about it. Suppose you got that $1 million and you invested it in an ETF. Every year, you're going to be paying the ETF at least $7,000. For what? To save yourself some time in purchasing your own stocks in which you are likely to make more than two changes in a year? In 10 years, you would have paid out $70,000. And that could have been invested and be making money for you. It will take you perhaps 30 minutes to order your 20 stocks and cost you a maximum of $9 in processing fees for each stock, 
or $180 in total for the next 10 years. Do you really think in 10 years that you would think paying this additional $69,820 was money well spent? I had great difficulty trying to find what other stocks are in the ETFs portfolio. The ones in the list you sent added up to about 50% of the total. I can't see what is in the other half. Even if I could, they can change it tomorrow without your consent. You're blindly entrusting an institution. I don't believe in blind trusts. The financial industry loves clients who don't ask questions and take up little of their time. It appears that you would get a return of about 7% a year in the ETF, but what about the capital gain? To me, with your capital gains and dividends, you would be looking for an annual gain closer to 20%. I look at my bank stocks that have more than doubled. I look at the share price for this ETF over several years. I do not see a gain in the unit price. As a bank shares increase in value, they increase their dividend payouts. I cannot see that in this ETF. Where is the money going? The fund manager has your money. They can dip into the money flowing into your portfolio and you would not have a clue that they, what they were doing. At least with your own stocks in your own portfolio, you can see every penny going in and out of your portfolio. If you needed cash and wanted to liquidate part of your portfolio, it is easy for you to look at your stocks and make a logical choice as to which stock you might want to sell some shares. You cannot do that with an ETF. You sell off units of the total ETF, and this may not be a good idea. The fund manager handling the CTF are no smarter than you are. The big difference is that it is not their money at risk. It is yours. If they are so smart, why are they still employees? Their objectives are not the same as yours. They are marketing a portfolio and are trying to attract those who lack your intelligence and analytical skills. They are not going to lose if the ETF performs worse next year than other years. You, you are the one that's going to lose. There's no guarantee that mutual funds and ETFs can maintain their track record. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. <laughs>